You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 10. Psalm chapter 10. The title tonight is, When God Seems Distant. You know, Psalm chapter 10 is not... One of the more well-known psalms. I've never had someone say, my favorite psalm is Psalm 10. Uh, It just kind of gets kind of lost in the shuffle a little bit. And as I've studied it and kind of refamiliarized myself with it, I've just just grown to just just love it. And the the truth here is so timely, I think, for what we're experiencing in in our lives and society. And it's, it's a very helpful uh, encouraging psalm. It's a very real psalm, which, by the way, is one of the reasons I love the psalms. They're so real, so transparent, and we see that here in the 10th uh, psalm. So let's read it together. Psalm 10, we'll start there in verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed. Sink down and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Strong, uh, powerful words. Uh, Just a reminder, as we look at the summary of the Psalms, the Psalms are, in actuality, a collection of Hebrew hymns. These are hymns that were used in worship. And there's a common theme found throughout the 150 Psalms. And Dr. Easley says it like this, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. And so we're reminded of that theme over and over and over again. And John Piper highlights the reality that these are they're hymns. They're, they're, they're poetic. They're artistic. They come from a creative heart and mind. 
The Psalms are songs. They are poems. They are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. And the Psalms remind us of this over and over and over again. And Psalm 10 is about uh, how you... How you Keep your, your gaze on the Lord when He seems distant. How you stay connected to Him and, and, and hang on to Him when, he seems, uh, when it seems that He is far away. Because look what He says there in verse 1. And we don't know who the writer of the psalm is, but it says in verse 1, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? So God seems far away. God seems distant. How many of you have ever gone through a moment in your life and God seemed far away? Raise your hand. If we're honest, right? We all go through stuff, and it seems like God is distant. And the psalmist here is asking the why question. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of uh, trouble? Uh, he says the same thing down in verse 13. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? So twice he asks a why question. Why is this happening? Why is it, why is it unfolding like this, God? And the psalmist is perplexed. So if you look in your notes, the psalmist is looking specifically at the wicked. Specifically at the wicked. And he sees some things in their lives. First of all, he sees their pride. Look what it says there in verse 2. In arrogance the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. The wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. The one greedy for gain curses, renounces the Lord. Look at verse 4. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. So you see the, the, the repetition here? Verse 2, arrogance. Verse 3, the wicked boast. Verse 4, it talks about the pride of his face. And so one of the chief characteristics of those who are wicked is that they are uh, filled with pride. So, he, so the psalmist here is looking around. The psalmist, you can tell from the, the psalm, loves God, is following God, wants to be faithful to God. And he's looking at those who are not faithful to God, and he says, they are full of pride. But then he says, or then he sees that they are oppressing the weak. They're actually harming other people. Look in verse 2. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. They're taking advantage of the poor because the poor can't fight back. It's, it's uh, you, you know, the, the survival of the fittest here. And, and, and these arrogant, wicked people are taking advantage, we don't know exactly how, but taking advantage of the poor and the weak. Look what it says down in verse 7. It says, His, the wicked, his mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. Um, in hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in a thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. So this speaks of premeditated scheming to take advantage of those who can't fight back. He's, this wicked person is, is taking advantage of the poor, taking advantage of the weak, oppressing the weak, and the psalmist sees this happening. He also sees the, this wicked person living with a cavalier attitude toward God. Do you know what it says there in verse uh, 3? The wicked boast of the desires of his soul. 
The one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. So this person is so far gone that they are cursing the Lord. They are renouncing uh, the Lord. And and look what it says uh, in verse 5. or Verse 4. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. And then in verse 5, his ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. So he's living with a cavalier attitude toward the Lord. The same idea is found in verse 11 where it says, He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. So the wicked here is so arrogant and so prideful that they don't think God's going to deal with their wickedness. They think they are in fact getting away with it. God doesn't see this. God doesn't care about this. There's not even a God. He's cursing God to his face. And so the wicked person here is living with a very cavalier attitude toward the Lord. He's not worried about accountability to God. He's not worried about that at all. He's just doing his thing. So now think about this. The psalmist sees their pride, the wicked. He sees them oppressing the weak. He sees them living with a cavalier attitude toward God. And here's the perplexing part. He sees them thriving. They're thriving. Look what it says there in verse 5. His ways, the wicked, his ways prosper at all times. He is wicked, opposed to the people of God, opposed to God himself, and he is thriving. He goes on to say, he says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity In other words, the wicked here is living the good life. Things are going great. And the psalmist looks at this and says, what is the deal? Why? Why Why is this wicked person thriving? We ask the question sometimes, why why do bad things happen to good people? In effect, what the psalmist is asking is, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do good things happen to bad people? And if we look around, we see it, don't we? We see, you know, people that have some fame. Uh, you know, they're, they're opposed to God, the things of God. But, man, they're thriving. they got everything money can buy. They've got fame. They've got popularity. They've got applause. They've got influence. And they're just doing great. And you look at yourself and say, here I am trying to serve Jesus and live in my little corner of life. And man, I'm struggling. Life is hard. And here's this ungodly, wicked person. And they don't have to worry about the light bill. They don't have to worry about, you know, where their, you know, where their resources are coming from. Their wealth, they're, they're thriving. And the psalmist sees this, and the psalmist asks the question, Why? Why, O Lord, verse 1, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Deal with this, God. Deal with these wicked people who think they're not accountable to God. But notice, notice these why questions are, are asked in the context of prayer. Who's he talking to here? Why, O Lord, you stand far away. He's talking to his God, his covenant God. He has a relationship with God. And so even though he's asking why questions, what I want you to see is this is a moment of faith. Even though things are topsy-turvy and perplexing and don't make sense, he still believes God is God. 
And he's still going to go to him with his emotions, with his perplexity, with his questions. This psalm, even though the, the psalmist is struggling, is a psalm of strong faith. And what we see happen is we see the psalmist come to some conclusions. We see the psalmist come to some, some right perspectives as he looks at the wicked and evaluates what is going on. And I want to show you this perspective uh, of, 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 of the psalmist and, and one that we ought to take on as well when we are perplexed by life and find ourselves asking the why question. So five, five things to remember, five truths to remember when it feels like God is distant. All right? Truth number one, God sees. God sees. I believe the turning point of the psalm is really found there in verse 14. Where he says, wait, look, we says in verse 13. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? The cavalier attitude towards the Lord. But look what he says in the next verse. But you do see. You do see. Remember, remember, nothing that happens on this earth, nothing that happens in human history goes unnoticed by God. God sees Everything, And so when it seems like the wicked are thriving and they're getting away with it, understand God sees. God sees what's going on there. He sees the injustice. He sees the oppression. He sees the evil. He sees the pride. He sees it all. And this is a continual theme throughout Scripture. In fact, look at the next chapter. Chapter 11, verse 4. David says here, "...the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven." His eyes, what? See. His eyelids test the children of man. Over in Genesis 16, 13, when Hagar is kicked out of the house by Sarah, Abraham's wife. You remember um, uh, Hagar, the servant, uh, was given to Abraham by Sarah so she could produce a child for Abraham because Sarah was not able to... to uh, conceive at that time. She was later, but not at that time. They took matters in their own hands, which was unwise, but it happened. And God gave Hagar a son named Ishmael. And the family was very dysfunctional. And Sarah became jealous. And Sarah had uh, Hagar Ishmael kicked out of the house, kicked out of the camp, kicked out of the settlement. And they are far away and they are um, isolated. And in Genesis 16, 13, the Lord meets with her. And he reassures her. And he rescues her. And in Genesis 16, 13, the Bible says, So she, Hagar, called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. She's isolated by herself, lonely, devastated. But who sees? God sees her. God sees her. And God comes to her aid. Over in Jeremiah 23, 24, Jeremiah poses this question. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord? In other words, is there anywhere a man can go where he can escape my gaze? And the implied answer is no. God sees everything. 
Proverbs 5:21. For man's eyes are before the eyes of the, I'm sorry, man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all his paths. God sees everything that we do, all of our paths. Proverbs 15:3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So nothing evil goes unnoticed by God, and nothing good goes unnoticed by God. He sees it all. Proverbs 15. Three. And then Hebrews 4.13, the Bible says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. No one can escape the gaze of an all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent God. And that's the, the, the gist of this psalm. And the psalmist gets to the place where he says, There's all this wickedness and they're thriving. Don't you see? And then he says, well, you do. You do see God. You see everything. And so when God feels distant, remember, God sees. Number two, when God feels distant, remember, God reigns. Look in verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. How long? Forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. So... The psalm's looking at the injustice, the oppression going on, the pride, the arrogance, the cavalier attitude towards God. He's looking at wicked people's life. He he looks at how they're thriving even though they are opposed to God. But he remembers, oh, that's right. Lord, you're king. You're sovereign over this. You're in control. I don't have to wring my hands and worry. I I don't have to be caught up in my perplexity I know that you reign. You are king. And even when things seem out of control, listen to me, we can be assured of God's sovereignty. Look at me. Everybody look at me. God is in control. Remember that. No matter how topsy-turvy things seem in life and in living and in society, God is in control. He's ruling and reigning. History is right on his schedule. It's unfolding the way he wants it to unfold. And when it's all said and done, God will set everything right and he will get all of the glory. That's where human history is headed. God is sovereign. God reigns. And that truth can help us when life is perplexing. Spurgeon used to say that the sovereignty of God or the doctrine of the sovereignty of God was a soft pillow to lay his head on at night. He slept better knowing God's in control. God's ruling and reigning. I read a story about an author named Lloyd C. Douglas. He was an author in the earlier part of the 20th century, middle part of the 20th century. And when he was a university student, he lived upstairs in a boarding house. And the boarding house was owned by an elderly retired music teacher. And every morning, uh, Lloyd Douglas would come down the stairs... And he would see the music teacher sitting there in a wheelchair. And he would say, what's the good news? Every morning, what's the good news? And this retired music teacher would pick up his tuning fork. And he would tap it on the side of his wheelchair and say, that's middle C. It was middle C yesterday. It will be middle C tomorrow. It will be middle C in a thousand years. That's his way of saying, this retired music teacher, hey, there are some things that that never change. Some things that never change. And you and I should find solace in the reality 
that God reigns, and that will never change. He reigned yesterday. He's going to be reigning tomorrow. And in a thousand years, guess what? He's still going to be reigning, right? That will never change. And So even though life changes and life can get complex and hard and it doesn't always make sense and God seems distant, we should remember that God reigns. Keep that at the forefront of our mind and heart. Third, God hears. God hears. Look in verse 17. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You hear the desire of the afflicted. God hears. I'm going to tell you something that's very, very important. And I hope you'll walk away with this, kind of take this with you. This is in your notes. When God seems distant, remember he's only one prayer away. Amen? He's only one prayer away. So even though it may seem like he's far away, it may seem like he's distant, he's not. Because the Bible paints this picture of God as our Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is turning His ear to hear the prayers of His children. It's really remarkable that the God of the universe entertains our prayers. Even the ones that ask questions like, why? Right? God hears us when we pray. And so when you find yourself in perplexity, when you find yourself in hardship, when you find yourself hurting, just remember God hears and talk to Him about it. Take it to the Lord and, 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 and place it at His throne of grace, as it says in Hebrews 4, to find mercy and help in times of need. First Peter 5, cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. God is only one prayer away. And so when you feel like God is distant in your life, that distance is really an illusion of your own heart and mind. Because the authority of Scripture teaches us He's only one prayer away. I love that. Oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. God hears. Number four, remember this. God will execute justice. Look in verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. He's asking God here, this is interesting and important, he's asking God to come to the rescue of the oppressed. He sees the injustice, he sees the evil, he sees the wickedness. He said, God, would you help? Would you put down this wickedness and help those who are being mistreated? Forget not the afflicted. Then look what it says in verse 15. Pretty strong language here. Theologians call this imprecatory prayers or an imprecatory psalm. You're asking for God to directly intervene with judgment on the wicked. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. He's asking God to move directly against the wicked. And then look in verse 18. He says that, that God is a God... To do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, he comes to the rescue of the weak. That's what he means there. So that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. In other words, there's a day coming when all wickedness will be put down and the oppressors will oppress no more. That that day is coming. God will execute justice. It's going to happen. So if you look there in your notes, a terrifying day of judgment is coming when all that is wrong will be dealt with. That day is coming in Revelation 
chapter 20, we see this, this vivid portrait of, of the great white throne of judgment where justice will be perfectly meted out. That day is coming. God will execute justice. Sometimes he executes justice in the here and now. Sometimes in the here and now, he intervenes and puts down the wicked and, 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 and rescues the oppressed. But whether or not you see it in this life, you will see ultimate justice. God will execute it perfectly on that day. So remember, when God seems distant, God sees, God reigns, God hears, God will execute justice. And fifth and last, God strengthens. I love this. Look at verse 17. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. Look at this next phrase. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. In the meantime, Lord, as the wicked are doing their thing, I don't understand it all. Seems like they're thriving, but they're doing their thing. And people are hurting. People are being oppressed and mistreated, and, and there's injustice happening. So in the meantime, Lord, would you help those who are being mistreated? Would you help your people that are being mistreated? Would you help them to have strength to keep on keeping on? And here's the truth we're reminded of from that phrase, you will strengthen their heart. God will give you what you need to bear up under the difficulties of a fallen world. God will give you what you need to bear up under the difficulties of a fallen world. Derek Kinner says it like this. However distant you may be the day of justice, one promise is not delayed. You will strengthen their heart. Let me show you just a couple quick pictures of God's strengthening hearts. Uh, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30 with me. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Just real quick. 1 Samuel chapter 30, this is the story of David on the run from Saul. He spends some time with the Philistines, misguided I believe, but he spent some time with the Philistines and he comes back to where he was living with his men who were fighting with him. And it says in verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 30, Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag, they had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire. This is where David and his men's families lived. And, verse 2, taking captive the women and all who were in it, both great and small, they killed no one but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they burned it with, that, that found it had been burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So here's problem number one. Problem number one, they ride back into town and their family's gone. Their homes are burned. This is bad, right? Look at the next verse. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept till they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David, look in verse 6. David was greatly distressed. Why? Look at the next phrase. For the people spoke of stoning him. <laughs> because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. So not only is David dealing with the heartache of losing his family and his house being burnt down and the village being burnt down, everyone's looking at him as the leader and saying, It's your fault, David. We ought to stone the leader. 
So David's in a tough spot here. What does David do? Look at the next phrase. It says there at the end of verse 6, But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Couldn't turn to his family. They were gone. Couldn't turn to his fellow soldiers. They wanted to stone him. He only had one place to turn. He turned to God and God strengthened him and then God spoke to him and then God gave them a plan and they were able to rescue their families and bring them back. But when David had nowhere else to go, listen, he found his strength in the Lord. That's the the gist of Psalm 10. As we see wicked people doing their thing, apparently thriving. God, give us strength to bear up under the realities of a fallen world. Let me show you one more example. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. New Testament, 2 Timothy. Love 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look in verse 16. Actually, back at verse 14. Paul is ending his letter to his young protege, Timothy, who was pastoring the church in Ephesus. Paul's talking about some different circumstances in his life related to different people in his life. And he says there in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But look in verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. I love this next phrase or sentence. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Paul's saying we, were, we, were, we, we encountered an enemy of the gospel, Alexander the coppersmith. We don't know the exact details, but Alexander was opposed to the gospel. Maybe he, was an in, maybe he was posing as a Christian and then came against Paul, or maybe he came from the outside, but he was opposed to the gospel. And Paul says, when he came against my message, no one came to support me. No one stood beside me. So he said, I was all alone, just like David, all alone. But what happened? He says there, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And so remember that... When you find yourself in a perplexing situation, when life just isn't making sense, when the why questions begin to surface in your heart and in your mind, remember that God is the one who strengthens. Looking back at the entire psalm, Psalm chapter 10, Dale Ralph Davis says this, He, the psalmist, not only asks why, but he also keeps pleading his own petition. Faith is perplexed and yet goes on pleading. The psalmist does not use God's baffling him as an excuse for disengaging with God, but as an incentive to press on with him. He's saying, because I don't understand, I'm not going to give up. I'm just going to keep coming to you. I'm going to keep praying and calling out to you and clinging to you. I'm not going to give up. I'm not throwing in the towel because I don't understand things. This this pressure and this stress is not going to drive me away from you. It's going to move me towards you. And I'm going to press into you, God, when times are difficult. So here's my takeaway tonight, and then we're going to pray together. When God seems distant, remember that God is God. Pray for justice. We ought to do that. When you see people being mistreated, or when you're being mistreated, pray for justice. 
And pray for strength and perspective in the waiting. Strength and perspective in the waiting. And I believe God will give you what you need when you find yourself in a Psalm 10 type moment. Amen? Amen. All right. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.